When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined this afternoon by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Dad Buckland as we look back on Everton's basically disappointing 3-0 defeat to Bournemouth on Saturday afternoon. The scenes that followed at the Vitality Stadium as Frank Lampard's some of Frank Lampard's plays clashed with supporters following a full-time whistle. And of course, look at the big question of where this leaves Frank Lampard and his Everton plays heading into the six-week World Cup break that is now underway. Bees, I'll start with you because you sat right next to me and you're obviously at the Vitality Stadium yeah. for the second time in a week. Yeah. On Saturday afternoon for the Echo, was Everton returned to Premier League action following their Carabao Cup exit. Yeah. We said on Friday, Frank Lampard would be hoping for a response. He rung the changes yeah. in, in a bid to get that response. But unfortunately for Everton, it was a similar story. Yeah, I mean, we were told, obviously, that it would be a very different game from Tuesday and it was certainly different personnel, as we expected both teams going back to the much more usual lineup. So what was a crucial match for both of them ahead of the, the World Cup break? Just a, po- a point between them going into the fixture. But yet again, another team below Everton have, have, have defeated them and um, in an even more emphatic manner. I mean, again, like Tuesday night, it was a, a three-goal margin. I thought that... Good, intense start from both sides. You know, it was 50-50. You could see, you know, what it meant to both both of them. It was an important game, but it was from that moment that um, Jordan Pickford made an uncharacteristic error and gifted Bournemouth the lead, it, 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 there, was no, there was seemingly no coming back. It was such a disappointing display from Everton. And um, I was speaking to Michael Ball earlier doing his column, and he says, you know... Teams, fans can accept defeats as as part of the game. As much as that one was was, was obviously hurtful for, for Everton again, losing to a team below them, who leapfrogged them. But it's the manner of the defeat again. It's the way they were beaten. They didn't even go down fighting as such. They were emphatically beaten. And I suppose we'll go on to this. But you know, after what I was saying, we all know I was was rather angry last week after what happened in the Carabao Cup game. And unfortunately, I felt that set the tone. For the week ahead, um, gave Bournemouth the momentum they took into Saturday's game, albeit with a much changed lineup. And if Everton could have got off on some, on the front foot with a decent result midweek, well, who knows? Could have been very different at the weekend, but unfortunately, wasn't. Joe, you were also at, at the Vitality Stadium alongside Chris, and it was another desperate afternoon, wasn't it, for the Blues? As more questions, you know, were raised, and more disappointments was etched across the face of everyone connected to the club. Yeah, it was a nightmare, and um, there's no real way to turn it into a positive, to be honest, either. I think uh, just just the week in general, if you if you go back to to Leicester and what I thought was a, I thought that was Everton's worst performance of the season, um, when they obviously went and lost two 0 and then you can kind of fully understand when we'll take the Carabao Cup seriously. I can understand Chris's frustration, but I think. You know, I can understand the content, bearing in mind everything that Lampard said throughout the season. Because in fairness to Lampard, even when the mood and the momentum has been positive, he's always 
kind of attempted to keep a lid on the excitement that grew that was grown at various points because I think he probably knew days like this were coming. So I could kind of understand making the changes in the Carabao Cup. I didn't necessarily think it was sacrificing the cup. I thought I still I still think that team should have done better, uh, a, a lot better. But then, you know, to cap off that week and, and this first section of the season, not just with the result on Saturday, but with the poor performance, it was woeful. I think, you know, would it have been a different story if, if Pickford hadn't made that mistake early doors? Yeah, you know, it may well have been. You know, and didn't start the game badly. But un- unfortunately, they seem to be in a situation where, you know, they can't really help themselves. How many times have we said this this, this season when, you know, Defeats have come as a result of mistakes. You know, they 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 are beating themselves up almost, and it doesn't matter how quick the progress is made. If you kind of help yourself, you you can't expect other people to help you for you. So, you know, I think that the, the thing that really concerned me and really concerned me from from Saturday is the fact that it looked like Bournemouth wanted it more, and you know. To some extent, you could you could say we'd expect that in the sense that they're a newly promoted side, they're the underdogs, you know, fighting against all the odds in the Premier League this season. Especially bearing in mind that they didn't spend that much in in the summer either. But bearing in mind how big a game that became for Everton, you know, especially as the week unfolded, first Leicester, then the Carabao Cup, and we're in the last game, you know, set the narrative for the World Cup break. I just don't understand how Everton were just outmuscled and outfought for everything. They, you know, they were on the back foot for everything. They just didn't have an answer to to Bournemouth's aggression, and and that concerns me really because we know that in terms of the search for quality, Everton at the you know the bottom of the ladder trying to work their way up. We know that, but what they should be really, they should be organised. They should be disciplined. They should be motivated. And I didn't really see any of that on Saturday, and, and, and that's a worry. Gav, you, you raised concern on Friday about the so-called Everton First eleven that was kind of des- described by some people from the following the Carabao Cup defeat last Tuesday. And if that was Everton's first eleven going into the you know the, the, the second half of the season almost now, it could be a long few months, couldn't it, for the Blues, because it was abject. You know, Joe described it as a bit of a horror show. It was everything that Everton fans fear most. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I get Chris. I get what you're saying, but to me, there's not that much difference between in 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 ability in compared to the team that went out on Saturday and the team went on the Tuesday. It's not a massive thing. I mean, some people from outside of this podcast, you know, you think that our first team was like Brazil's 1970, the way they spoke about. <laughs> Posted the team on on Tuesday that we put out that we had like Brazil seventy as the first team we sacrificed it. I haven't seen an abject performance against Leicester, and I didn't. You know, and my point was there's not a lot of difference between the two, and you know, so on last Tuesday you got like the first team substitutes coming out to try and bail out the the team in the League Cup game, and then on Saturday you had the team from Tuesday trying to bail out the team, <laughs> the, the first team on Saturday, pointing towards the fact that. In 18, 20 players, that 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 is our squad. I think that the, the I think Donna Chris has said maybe on Friday's maybe eight there that you can probably trust, and I, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably say that's I think that's probably right. And I saw nothing on 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 Saturday to to to, to change any opinion that actually 
Tuesday, so that was probably right, and they should have put a better performance against Bournemouth second eleven as well and won. Because what I seen on Saturday, I wouldn't have backed that team that played on Saturday against Bournemouth second eleven. To be fair, from what I saw, um, it was abject, and so it, and that's really the thing, isn't it? You know, we, we haven't got a lot of options. Is what we're getting to here. It is really we've, we've used what twenty players in two matches across the first team squad against it, a moderate Bournemouth. And we've lost two games, four one and, and, and three nil. And um that that's the that's the worrying thing for me is that I mean Frank said the worrying thing as well and it's about motivation, isn't it? And, and stuff is I think Frank said on Friday that'd be a different game, different story on Saturday if if yeah. anything pound for pound it was worse. Yeah. And um that that's that's the worrying thing for me around the assessment, forgetting about first team, second screen team, around the assessment of the squad. Of say 20, 25 first team players or potential first team players on Saturday. That the, and that, that that's the we thought it was going to be different. We expected the difference, it was the same. And that, that was the warning thing for me. It's you know, Gav said there about the, the warning thing, but John makes a good point, doesn't he? In the sense, and all boys touched on it, and that you know, just getting beat by better teams, you know, yeah. there's some teams who are better than ever, you know, we all know that, but the way in which this team continually crumbles. Went under pressure, even though France made changes. Saturday looked like nothing had changed from last season's horror away format. It, it was everything that we've become used to seeing Everton on the road. Yeah, and what it was, Gav, it's not so much that the so called first 11 was really strong, it's because they're not, they are struggling. That's why I didn't like the, the changes coming in because I don't think Everton were strong enough. To be able to to leave them yeah. out, so it's not yeah, so it's not as much. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't can't make, this. Yeah. It's just to me is that you were playing Bournemouth second eleven last Tuesday, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. like when people say, oh, we th- throw throw away opportunity, and I think as a transpired thing, we did throw away an opportunity because I know I don't want to go about Tuesday, but I just say it's a key mm. to Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, Bright, Brighton for forty to one to lift the league cup this time last Monday, and they were they now ten to one. Yeah, yeah. Because of the opportunity yeah. that was opened elsewhere, so I get, I get that. Like, sort of yeah. give ourselves an opportunity, but we still had enough out there, as Joe said last Tuesday. And I know that we're going to be there, but that, as you say, that's the key to Saturday, isn't it? Really, as well. You know, we yeah. got to look at these few games together mm-hmm. rather than the two separate matches for me to fully understand what's going on, where we are as, as, as a as a as a club at the moment. Yeah, that was that was what was upsetting me because it was uh, you know the momentum that it that it set and the way it, it put Everton back. But it was actually a really good stat from Gav, which was rather poignant to be fair, that he gave us before the game has now been extended. Um, that's is it? Am I right now saying Gav that that's now eight consecutive games against newly promoted? Yeah, Everton, yeah, yeah. Everton have failed to win. So again, that tells us the story of yeah. yeah Games where you want to have that will to win, where it's all about that desire and that commitment rather than actual quality. Everton are falling short and they're falling short um, badly. Um, it was, it was all a lot of it was what the season had been built upon. We didn't see at the, the weekend. We know that Everton had struggled badly defensively last season. Was it 66 goals or whatever they shipped? So that was um, Lampard's pr- um, summer priority, was tightening up the back. Tarkovsky and Cody, who've been so solid in that area, although obviously they'd struggled against Leicester City. I'd like to see them both play along with a few others on Tuesday, but they didn't. But then 
it was the trusted lieutenants who who were I won't say letting them letting Frank down, but were disappointing finding themselves out of form again. Jordan Pickford, despite what again others outside of regular Everton watchers think, has been you know a really consistent performer. He he um, drops that shot, gives them the first goal. Poor Tarkovsky was on the deck, and that's another issue for the for the second goal. But you know he he didn't cover himself in glory for the first one, and then I think he held his hand up after the the third one. Yeah, all the things that Everton that have gone right for Everton this season, and have been things you can depend upon. That defensive solidity that wasn't there um, at the weekend, so that has to be dis- that has to be concerning too. Joe, I just want to touch back on what you said initially, along with what Gav said in, in his pointing, you know, in terms of what we saw from Everton at the weekend. How much of that is on Frank Lampard? Because obviously a lot of finger pointing is always, you know, done at the players for their performances and their kind of attitude at times. But, you know, we tactically haven't been found out. You know, they don't look very organised. They, they look a little bit short of ideas. How much is, is this on Frank Lampard in terms of what he's getting right and wrong at the minute? Because obviously questions will now start to be asked about him and his, you know, his future as Everton manager, even though it seems, you know, severely premature. There will be people out there looking and, and making assumptions. I mean, I think a lot. I think I think a lot of the things that have gone wrong this week. I think Lampard probably has to take responsibility for. I think the wider context is just to where Everton are in terms of their progress. I don't, I don't necessarily think is you can lay completely at his door because I think if you look at the the big picture is is that obviously. Going into the World Cup break, Everton at one point in one place at a relegation zone, and almost halfway through this season, yeah, there's a looming spectre of a potential another relegation battle to come. Now, I think that a bit of perspective is is needed, in the sense that as much as we all kind of get a little bit excited when things go well, this was probably always likely this season. If, if we're being honest, and, and, and Frank Lampard makes this point, and sometimes you kind of gloss over a little bit in the aftermath of, of victories, but if you take a step back and you really look, Everton were terrible last season. They deserved to be in a relegation battle. You know, I, I, I was, and I'm sure many other people were as well, perhaps guilty over the summer of thinking that they were a side that would automatically be 10 points better this season just by virtue of having had a break, recovered from injuries and just got out of the toxic spiral that developed under Benitez. And then at Lampard took a while to get right. That wasn't the case. This, this wasn't a, a mid-table side that vastly underperformed last season. It was a, it was a relegation friend side that was there because it was one of the worst sides in the league. Now, you can make the point that five, six of the players that started on Saturday were Frank Lampard's signings. But again, I think it's only fair to look at the transfer window in its proper context. And the proper context is that Everton's best player by a mile, Richarlison, the talisman, the one person that you could always rely on when the things were going were going badly to, you know, to, to stand up and fight for the club. You know, remember his tears on the pitch after defeat at Burnley. You know, well, they sold him. Um, you know, they, they sold him, so he loses him. And then in terms of the transfer window that developed, okay, obviously they did spend a bit of money, they did bring in quite a few players, it probably was a chunk of money on wages. But when you look at that transfer window, you get the impression that a lot of it was kind of having to 
having to react to changing situations time after time again. They couldn't go into that transfer window planning anything long term because for up until the last week of the season, they didn't know if they're going to be in the Premier League. They couldn't spend you know the back end of May and the the whole of June eyeing up people and having conversations with people because they knew that they needed to sell the Charleston or somebody else to you know to balance the books. So they didn't really know what budget they were operating under until July and. You know, by that point, a lot of the business has already been done. You know, they got unlucky with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, although it was always, and I don't think, you know, I think most Everton fans knew this and most people watching it, it was, it was always dangerous to go into this season fully reliant on Dominic Calvert-Lewin staying fit. The signs were very positive over the summer and I can understand why you focus on defence rather than attack, but it was always a risk and unfortunately it was a gamble that didn't pay off. But in terms of in terms of what I'm trying to say for the wider picture, I think there's always going to be an element of this was likely. And, and even if Everton were fought, you know, had taken had beaten Leicester and got points at Bournemouth, you know, they'd still only be five points off the relegation. Yeah, you know, they'd, they'd still be in amongst they might be looking upwards and looking towards the top half of the table, but it would still be naive to rule out a relegation battle because there are just so many clubs that are just so tightly packed together this season. But I do think that you need to take a bit of responsibility for what's happened this week. Um, one, you know, the, the the lack of intensity is is problematic, and that is on him. He might have been a little bit unfortunate in the sense of the World Cup break might have you know clouded a few people's thoughts and things like that. But you know, he still talks positively about the lesser defeat. And he said it again after Saturday that you know he thinks Everton could easily have got something out of the Leicester game. And all right, Wobe had a good chance five minutes in. Calvert Lewin had a good chance beginning the second half. But but really, I thought Everton were comprehensively outplayed against Leicester. You know, I don't think that was a game that you know. I, I think that's a game where if Everton scored two goals, Leicester could probably have scored three if they'd have wanted to. Um, against Bournemouth in midweek. It was a it was a PR disaster. That's what that was. By just making all those changes, he put himself in a situation where if things went wrong, there'd be more pressure on him. As I say, I completely understand why he did it, and I don't necessarily have that much of a problem with the thought process. Like, I, and I think with that Tuesday night, as I've written since then and said on here, every single one of those players had a point to prove on that pitch, and the fact that none of them took their opportunity to prove it has to be on them. But obviously. You know, that all that did was serve to do was ramp up the pressure on Saturday and the reality is that the players didn't respond. I think my concern is, and, and I'm, you know, this isn't uh, like a, I've been struck by lightning and come up with an amazing idea. I think, it, you know, if you go on social media, quite a few people are saying this, but in the, in the Leicester game, um, what was notable was that Anana was almost playing alongside Awobi, you know, playing as an attacking centre midfielder and it left him Idrissa Gay in front of the defence by by himself, putting out fires. And, and, what, and what happened was, obviously, Cody and Tarkovsky have been brilliant signings. Uh, you know, they, they, they really have strengthened and improved Everton's defence. But pace isn't the attribute, an attribute that they share. So Everton's back four naturally sits deeper. So then Idrissa Gay sits deeper when he's in front of them. If you put Onana, push him up, you end up with this chasm of space between what's essentially a front five and a back five plus Pickford. And it just became, just become so exposed. And, and, you know, Dewsbury Hall and Madison just made a mockery of them, uh, Goodison Park and, and that opportunity. 
I thought, okay, if it's a one-off, all right, fair enough, maybe they've learned a lesson. And it was a real concern. It's Bournemouth on Saturday to see the same again. I couldn't understand the argument for pushing Onana so fully forward when really, when you look at Everton's best moments this season, they've so often been with Onana working alongside Gay in front of the defence just to give a really solid, stable foundation. Not only does it make him harder to break through, but it also means there's an extra body there to help them play out from the back, which is obviously something they've tried to do. Yeah, when you look at the first goal, that's exactly what happens. You know, it, it's all you know. Everton's press is, is the first line of Everton's press is beaten, and the next thing you know, there's just the middle third of the pitch to exploit. Uh, I mean, Everton are on the back foot, and, and, and they concede the results. So I'm I'm really interested to understand what the thought process was there. Look, yeah, there are far cleverer minds and footballing minds than mine and that Everton coaching staff, and may well get the opportunity over the next week or two to ask them what the plan was and they might explain it and it might make perfect sense. But from an amateur, from an outsider looking in, it just it just seemed to make the side more vulnerable. Um, so that's a really long answer to your question. Uh, and I, I'm sorry for that. But essentially, I, I think there's a degree of predictability and inevitability about Everton being in... Uh, you know, still having their eyes looking downwards rather than upwards at this point. Um, I do think that, you know, I do, I do think Lampard has to take responsibility for some of the disappointment of this week. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gav, one thing that I posted on Twitter on, on Saturday night, which a lot of fans were talking about, is... The question about Lampard in terms of could he be getting more out of this group of players he's got at his disposal, or are we just seeing him getting the best out of what these group of players have got to offer, and that you know they are just you know lacking ability and probably you know maybe not quite good enough to to be any higher in the division. What are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think he should be getting more out of these players, or do you think it's a case of you know these players are good enough for where Everton basically are on the table, and that's you know the bottom end. That goes back to what Joe was talking about. We, we spoke about Anana's role after after the Leicester game, didn't we? Because like, not only was he pushed for, further forward up the pitch, he was pushed on the left-hand side to make it even worse. He wasn't even playing centrally. And, um, you know, Madison then came in from the right, so he had an extra midfielder, so it looked even worse. So the starting point is, Frank, yes, should be getting more more from the team, but actually by playing a formation, that suits the strengths and, and what you want from, from those positions, which as... If you want to talk about the midfield again, I will talk about the midfield again because <laughs> it, it's quite obvious that the three that he's got playing in the midfield are playing in the wrong positions. And I play, and, and any midfielder more than anywhere else on the pitch, if you put somebody in the wrong position, they look like a bad player. And so you've got guy as you talk about there, he's not a holding midfielder, never has been. He hasn't got he hasn't got the range of ability. He's, he's a good player, you know, albeit past his peak, but he's not a holding midfielder, never has been. Um, you know, for, to do that role properly for us to have like a midfield general, they need to be able to pass the ball and needs to be sense danger. And and, and he can't, and, and he's really being exposed by that by as Joe was saying, and are playing further up the pitch. 
Anana should be playing deep and being playing more of a box to box role. Um, you know that that's his strength, not playing forward. And Awobi, yeah, he's an attacking midfielder, but he's not a proper attacking midfielder for me. He doesn't score goals. So we've got we've got three midfielders there collectively. I don't think they can pass the ball. There's no goals there, and there's nobody there who's a natural. Think of the what Delph played like the end of last season, Fabian Delph. That role that last season, you know that you know he played six, seven, or eight games, being able to get the ball off the defense, do that half term, keep the ball moving, you know, keep um, keep the flow of possession, position yourself, you know, where you sense danger is and stuff and how danger. We haven't got any player who can do that in the three at the moment, you know, and I think Garner can do it as in James Garner, but you know he needs to be on the pitch, so. Frank can get the you know the best out of players by playing them in the in the, the right roles. And I've said this all along about the midfield. It does, doesn't work. And we get exposed. And and the thing is, compounded by the fact, and you know, it may be heresy that here is the two centre halves have done sterling jobs for us on so far the season. But they're too slow. So Joe, you, you retweeted that, that goal there, first goal, where, as you say, the ball's played through the press. Garner Gay is on his own by the by by the mid, you know, by the halfway line. As soon as Bert Bournemouth runs towards us, what are our two centre halves doing? Running towards their own goal. Should be pushing up, compressing the play. And so by the time it gets to it, by the time the ball reaches our, our dead of our penalty area, their first goal on Saturday was exactly the same as the first goal on Tuesday. A player at the edge of the box is allowed to shoot. And no centre half is is closing them down because we our centre our two centre halves are playing too deep. So it's just getting it getting it right, and also just being a bit little bit smarter. You know what annoyed me on Saturday, and and I don't was Vinagre fit on Saturday or was he was, was he was, was could he being selected or being on the bench? As far as I know, he was. We've got nine people on the bench, two centre halves, two academy graduates. Our left back goes off injured after what twenty minutes. We play thirty-four year olds right back at uh, thirty-four year olds right back at left back. Well, should we have had Vanagli on the bench in the eventuality that a left side defender might might get injured? You know, it's stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. That that to me is basic, like thinking about the squad as a whole and thinking about eventualities. We ended up playing Coleman, who's already played last week at 30 floor at left back in the defence that's struggling. And there's stuff like that that actually I want I like to see Frank sort of thinking a little bit more and not leaving it exposed. And and some of this like we've just spoken about here is 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 just getting it right, playing players in the right positions and playing to the stance. And I think we're getting exposed. And I'm just wondering whether you know Mina's had a load of stick. I, I maybe would think about the sense of defence when we come back at Christmas if Mina's fit. I think get the, I don't think we should be forced down the road because Tarkovsky and Cody being really good and they have been is they they completely, you know, untouchable. You, you know, yeah, they 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 totally are they 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 are centre half for the rest of the season and not give thought to playing if Mina's fit playing. Well, of course, next game back, sorry, is is. is... Wolves Boxing Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Don't get. Don't. It's it's this first team, a second team thing. Is don't think 
you've got a first team and actually they're going to play every week which is by and large are at times one of the more options and I, I would play Mina if he's fit because I would say you know this time 12 months ago we were saying you know every yeah. time he got injured he's the best centre half of the club you know and and he, he he's hugely influential on the pitch and I think if I was if I was if he was fit I'd get him on the pitch notwithstanding Tuesday so it's just I think what I'm saying here is thank Frank needs to get his players playing in the right positions that are, so there's a balance there and think outside the box a little bit about what I was selecting the team because I don't think either of them is happening at the moment. These in terms of, you know, the lads here have, have picked up some really good small minor details that people might see as, as issues that Frank Lampard needs yeah. to address. But all them issues come as brought together as one. Yeah. That's probably the, one of the reasons why Everton find themselves in the position they have once this World Cup break, don't they, in the sense of the team doesn't quite look balanced question marks over personnel playing and question marks over other decisions in terms of tactics and and what Frank Lampard is trying to get his team to do mm. are part of the reason why Everton are going to the World Cup break one place above the relegation zone yeah it's, it's, it's all unraveled very very quickly as we said in the all if buts and maybes but what, what I would say about the, the, the Leicester City defeat if we go back to the start of that what's been a terrible final week before the break for Everton is um, that just totally, as we said already on the podcast, that just sort of compressed the bottom half of the table right in. So if, if they'd have won that one, they could have maybe even sort of never accepted it, but, you know, had that result at Bournemouth anyway, because they would have still had that cushion and Leicester wouldn't have been where they were, but just while it did, it just bring everything together. Yeah. It's, a, it's been a mess. Like I've already said that, um, the defensive solidity which they've depended upon that's sort of gone by the by and then the attacking issues which have been there all season i mean they were the same i think it was only when young tom cannon came on obviously he came on midweek as well um got the, the header on target there towards the end from a, a cross from anthony gordon who was also a substitute and it, it's just not not been happening the wide players haven't been creating the chances um poor neil mope i just don't know are they going to get the best out of him? Um, totally different than Calvert Lewin, and it's it's like the the players don't seem the other players don't seem to adjust when 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 he's he's on the field and um, he's dropping deep and um, climbing the lone furrow and struggling up there. I mean, it's a thankless task. And like I said, it was only when Can came on that he actually had that cross into the box. He got the the, the header on target. So. Yeah, they've all sort of conspired, and as Gav has been going on about, quite rightly so, the midfield balance. All of a sudden, everything's gone wrong at once. I mean, we thought it'd be a nightmare scenario forever. We were saying, oh, you don't want to be going into that break either in the Premier League relegation zone. Well, thanks to Liverpool, of course. Everton aren't in that, but are even in or around it, and 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 they are around it. They're very much around it because I mean, other teams. Um, well, the next, what, if they lose the next game, yeah. they, the bottom of the goal comes behind. Yes, yeah. So they are in and around <laughs> it. So on the one hand, you didn't want that looming over you for six weeks because nobody wanted to be in that position. It's bad enough when you go an international break and you can't do anything for a fortnight. Nobody wants to do that for six weeks, but it could actually be. I think both Joe and myself have both written about this over the last couple of days. It's actually possible you could argue it's actually a very good time for Everton to stop and just stop the rot and all that's gone wrong so quickly and so dramatically over this past seven days or so. Put that behind you and just sort of 
recharge your batteries, reset and, and, and go again. And obviously you throw into that Calvert-Lewin's injury. So hopefully he'll be back come Boxing Day. Yeah, as, as much as you didn't want to be in that position when the music stopped and the Premier League table remains the same for six weeks for Everton and the way that their form has just plummeted of late, I mean, it's probably an opportune time to take stock. Joel, I think one area of concern ever told him to... He seems to have lost Joel for a minute there. So Gav the question. Gav, I'll come to you <laughs> instead. <laughs> you won't get as good as answered what Joel gave you, by the way. Yeah. I'll get a slightly shorter one. <laughs> In terms of one area of concern the Blues, of, Blues fans have had this season, we've always been around goals and where goals are going to come from, who's going to create them. Yeah. And I think the last few weeks, you know, obviously they had two glorious chances against Leicester City. But that concern still lingers on. Like B said before, in terms of Neil Mopay, Everton seemingly don't know how to get the best out of Neil Mopay and get him in a position which he's going to score goals. Which obviously, if you don't score, you don't have many, much chance of winning many football matches. That's too hard a question. I can I pass that on to Joe without any time. <laughs> 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 you sticks me up there, haven't you, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it goes back to what I was saying before, doesn't it, really, about the balance of midfield? You know, that we'd be we lacking, a, 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 for me, a proper attack on midfield who's got a bit of craft and a bit of guard around the box for the start. Um, and Mo Pace, a player who, who, who I, you know, by limited time, I've seen him at Brighton and, and us, I'd also see he likes the ball into feet in and around the penalty box, not the ball cross wide. I mean, don't talk to me about Demara Gray on Saturday, by the way, just don't. Um, but, um, you know, crosses out wide and on board to Mopay are just completely pointless, aren't they? You know, so, so that's one thing. And we haven't got a team. We've got a midfield that can score goals. We pose the odd threat from corners. No, I don't think we score. Have we scored from a corner this year? Is that the, not score from a corner? Or? Uh, no, the only goal that they scored from a set piece so far yeah. this season is Connor Cody's... Um, Against uh, which I think was a free kick against um, Southampton. Yeah, so I mean, from set pieces, we are not a threat. I mean, by and large, you know, you know what our average corner is. It goes over about like fifty yards over the bar and out for a corner. You know, towards the other corner flag. So it's getting the best of Mope. It's you know we need to feed the ball in from the midfield into feet in around the box, but we need more more goal scoring power in in this. Midfield, and we need to be more of a threat around the uh, round um, set pieces, which we're not doing any of them at the moment, and, and and that's the concern. Having said that, I've not had the problem with not scoring as long as we're not conceding, because those two things sort of balance each other out. The problem is now, of course, we start to concede goals. That's I'll be with two different defenses. What's that nine in nine and three games? And, and to be fair, as Joe said about the last game, it could have been it could have been fifteen in three games, couldn't it quite easily? Which is the concern. So, um, yeah, there's a combination of things there. Connor, I just don't think it's getting the best out of some OPA. It's how the team can maximise its goal scoring potential, which at the moment there's very little there, is there really? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, you know, unfortunately, there was some unsavoury scenes uh, in the away end as Evans plays made the way over to. The supporters who made the trip down to the South Coast following the full time with the Vitality Stadium on Saturday. And, you know, I know Frank Lampard spoke about it in his post match press conference, which you and Chris were both at. But it was very unsavory, wasn't it? And it's not nice to see because you, you'd like to think that the club was was passing them seeing what we saw last season when, you know, St. Rafa Vitez was in charge. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of focus on it since the final whistle. And I kind of think that working on the basis that you know, whatever the incident involving Alex Iwobi was, was was just a misunderstanding and there was nothing more to it, which is what Frank Lampard said immediately after, then, you know, I kind of, I'm not going to say it's been blown out of proportion, I can understand why, but it, it, there's a lot of hyperbole surrounding it. I mean, it didn't look good, of course it didn't look good. Uh, yeah, as Frank Lampard said after the game, those fans have got every right to, to voice their frustration. They just embarked on a 500-mile round trip in a cost-of-living crisis to watch their side lose 3-0 to a newly promoted side in a game they could ill afford to lose um, and, and, and not really competing at, at, at all. So I can understand why some people were frustrated. I thought it was right that the Everton players went over there at the end to try and, you know, obviously it didn't quite work out. But even amidst all that, you know, not everyone was booing. There were genuine chants for Alex Awobi, which you could hear from the, you know, where we were sitting on, in the press box on the other side of the pitch. And I think if you look at social media since then, I fully understand social media is, isn't everything. But you know, I, th- I think for this, although for the first time we are seeing kind of, you know, criticism of Frank and questions about him. I think most most sensible people still think he's the right person for the job, albeit that improvements are a necessity and need to be made quickly. I mean, it's a shame that that was the talking point again, but I suppose, if I'm honest, like fan, away fans being disappointed at that performance is just an inevitable consequence of a performance like that after a week like that. Um, so, yeah, kind of we are where we are. I suppose in many sense, bees, you know, Everton's players only have themselves to blame, don't they? That supporters have got away frustration because at the end of the day, it was down to them that supporters were so angry and frustrated at what, what they just witnessed. Yeah, in the same way that the the, uh, the second stringers or whatever we want to call them um, didn't take their chance on Tuesday when the, the, the first um, team didn't do the same against their Bournemouth counterparts on Saturday. Yeah, it was the the manner of the defeats, they didn't go down fighting, there was hardly a shot on target, just the defensive capitulation, just everything about it. Ultimately, you can't just go there and say, oh, Everton are a big club, we'll roll you over. Of course, it doesn't work like that. But you expect so much more, and as we've alluded to already, this record against newly promoted clubs, it's not like they wouldn't. Uh, edged out 1-0 late goal or something and a sucker punch and they, they went ahead relative sorry behind relatively early on and then they, they there was just no way back and Joe and I were at that game at Southampton early in the season we hoped at the time that that was a turning point the fact that they'd gone behind then they'd come back to win 2-1 and we're saying no this is a new Everton now more resolute it doesn't matter but it, it, it would actually seem no, in, in hindsight, is looking at it and the bigger picture and what's happened since that they still do really struggle when when they when they go behind rather than roll the sleeves up. Come on, now we can still get back back into this. Um, it, it they're okay if they're defending uh, either a lead or if it's nil nil and and, and they're, they've got something to hang on to. But that moment they 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 go behind seems like there's no way back, and that's a that's a real concern. That's been the problem. Obviously, Marco Silva, infamously, he never. Came behind to win once in a, in a Premier League game. I mean, um, Carlo famously um, did it. Obviously, and there was the game at Watford with, with 
with 10 men, but again, the same group of players. I mean, there's been changes since then, but it's the same old problems that unfortunately the Southampton game now looks like um, to be the, the exception rather than the norm and those same bad habits um, are creeping back in. Gav, in terms of you know, players are full-time, but I'm too much of a defence for, for Everton's players, they are in the kinds of position where they're damned if they do and damned if they're not, aren't they? Because if they don't go over to the away fans at the end, people, you know, take aim. But if they do go over, you know, there's always the chance that things might boil over given some fans will be, you know, angry or frustrated at what they've witnessed. It's a bit of a no-win situation, isn't it, when, you, when you've been beaten in the way of where at the weekend? Yeah, a few people were taking aim when they went over <laughs> The Saturday, really bad looks for yeah. I think Shada said that didn't he on Saturday night? I think, um, I think you, I know they've highly preferred freshness, but I think it's got that he went over actually. I think that's a better, better thing than not going over, to be honest with you. And, um, as much as, as much as there was loads of hassle and stuff, I'd rather have seen that than a load of angst, you know, that they've all wandered down the tunnel and avoided. Avoided the away fans, and um, I think so. Fair play to that. It wasn't a bit unsavory, but not unexpected and fully support any fan who wants to vent their their ire at the the Everton players. It was unfortunate. Will be got a little bit stick, and he's been, you know, the best player hasn't he this season, pound for pound, and he certainly wasn't our worst player on Saturday. So that was a bit unfortunate, and I think. Um, I'd rather see them go over whatever result there is, to be honest with you. But the fans are quite, quite obviously entitled to give give them stick, which they, they certainly did um, on Saturday. But it wasn't a great look at the end of the day, was it? Really, at that time, men were looking with what fourth and bottom. But fair play to everybody for going over there, even though it did look a little bit, you know, a little bit rough, didn't it? For once, we were phrase. A bit like Brentford last season, wasn't it? Was Brentford last year was similar? That was one of the first ones, yeah. 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 Well, Rafa's last yeah. game. Yeah, it's Bournemouth. Though. You're right at the side of the pitch, aren't you? So it makes it, makes it look even uh, even more magnified, the the, uh, the source of stick they were getting. Just to finish with, just to finish then, and I'll start with you, but, you know, Everton do now have a six-week break before they return to action on boxing day against Wolves at Goodison Park. And if it wasn't already going to be a big time for Frank Lampard, the last seven days... You know, finishing off with Bournemouth on Saturday, I've just made it a mega six weeks, hasn't it, for Frank Lampard? Although we will lose place to international duty in terms of hitting the refresh button, freshening things up, and working on things to go into the second half of the season and get Everton climb up the table. It's a strange one in the sense that, you know, ball isn't going to be kicked for six weeks. It's probably the biggest six weeks in Everton's season. <laughs> and of course, I'm going to as well. You know, I, I think. The, the break has come at a good time for, for Frank Lampard um, because I just think that there's a bit of a negative, there's some negative momentum that was just gaining and I'd, and having watched him against Leicester and then the attempt to put it right again on Tuesday and then the attempt to put it right on Saturday just for whatever reason I, I, don't, I don't quite think Everton were in a position where if they had a game in you know Tuesday or Wednesday this week or Saturday we could I could trust them to pull themselves out of this spiral themselves at the minute. Uh, not, not necessarily being anybody's fault, but like I think it, it's handy that a break is forced upon them and they can just press the reset a little bit. Because yeah, there, there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed, uh, and I'm still confident that they can be addressed with 
with the people that are there, you know, including Frank Lampard, you know, I don't, like, as I say, you know, I think he's under more pressure than he probably has been at any point since they lost to Burnley, um, you know, in the back end of last season before they got the, the Man United win. But, you know, I, I still think he needs to be given time and given faith and because I think one, you know, one of the many questions or topics and factors you think is, well, it doesn't. You could bring the best manager in the world into Everton, uh, in, and into Everton as they were last summer. And given the constraints that they're operating within, I think that it's always going to take multiple transfer windows to start to get Everton properly moving up the table. You know, even, say even if you've got someone who you know who's, who's world renowned for their managerial abilities, it would still take time. And I think that obviously this will be a second transfer window coming up. They've just got to use this time wisely. You know, I think, you know, I think Kevin Fowler, everything that Kevin Fowler has done behind the scenes makes sense. Now, whether or not you know, that kind of leads to genuine progress on the pitch, I don't know. But everything that, everything that they've done you know, seems to have a strategy behind it. I think that needs to be played out because I just, I think that one of the reasons Everton were in the mess they were in the back end of last season is because they just lurched so chaotically from manager to manager, director of football to director of football. Um, so I think, I think I think they've got a big job on their hands this next six weeks um, and, and they've got to use the time wisely. It gives them an opportunity to work on a few of the players. You know, a few of the players are carrying knocks and stuff like that. That's clear. Gives Calvert-Lewin another chance to get right, hopefully for the second half of the season. But it also gives them an opportunity, and I, I think they're naive if they don't do this. It gives them a proper opportunity away from the pressure cooker of the of the fixture list to kind of plan for a life if Calvert-Lewin isn't available. And that means two things. That's One is who can you sign in January, and they need to sign attackers in, in January, at least one. Um, but it also gives them an opportunity to work out how best and most effectively to play if Neil Mopé is, 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 is the main striker, because they haven't worked that out yet. They, they clearly haven't worked out how to play to Neil Mopé yet. And for, you know, as much as his struggles have been evident, I think part of it is because he's in a, almost being set up to fail by a system that just doesn't work for him. So, you know, they can get a few players back to fitness. Obviously, Ben Godfrey played for the under-21s on, on Sunday, so that, you know, he should be back ready for, for Wolves. And I think he, I, um, Gav mentioned Mina earlier, I... I think Godfrey is the most likely of the centre backs that haven't been playing to force his way into into the side. You know, I, I think he, I think Lampard likes him, and I think he's, you know, he's 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 the quickest. He's got the pace. They can they can play a lot further forward potentially if they've got him. Or, albeit, it might be that uh, Frank Lampard has to revert back to five at, at the back. Um, you know, James Garner missed the other day with a knock. Mikalenko, not sure of the extent of his injury, but he came off. So, you know, I think that it'd be, I just think the next six weeks it, it is massive. I think it's right to stick with Frank Lampard, give him the opportunity to plot his way out. I think context is important, as, as, as gloomy as it feels now. It is also right to say that, you know, this time last, you know, week, eight days ago or so, we had the Leicester game going into that. Everton were, you know, winning. They'd be looking to the top half of the table, you know, and the, the, things can change very, very quickly. But, this isn't a time for complacency or naivety. They, they need to spend the next six weeks thinking, one, what are we going to be doing on the training ground to sort everything out? And two, 
what we're going to be doing in January. And they've got to be realistic on both counts because there isn't a time for, for any form of naivety. There's no point saying we don't need to work on an oper- on, on tactics that you know centre around Mopey because we think Calvert-Lewin's going to be fit. They can't afford to take that risk. And they can't afford to go into January thinking, well, if our first choice striker doesn't come off, they've got an unrealistic second one or a third choice. They've just got to go in, sort themselves out, back them to do it. You know, this is always going to take time to get Everton back on the front foot. Um, and I think the the current setup is fortunate that they've got an enforced break now because it just removes them from the pressure of the season, some of the negative momentum that we've seen build over the past week. And hopefully, away from all that, it gives them the perfect opportunity to solve some of the problems and, you know, get Everton back on the front foot again. Because I've been good moments this season. I've been glimpses of progress this season. Um, yeah, there is start, there are positive things to build on in the second half of the campaign. So hopefully that's what we're talking about come February and March rather than staring down the barrel of another grim May. Gav, put yourself in Frank Lampard's shoes position. What one area would, or you know, maybe in two areas, would you prioritize in the next six weeks? Or issues would you prioritize in the next six weeks if you were? Frank Lampard right now and seeing what you've seen over the last few months of the season, three months of the season? Uh, the first team and the second team would be the two areas I prioritise to... Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, at 47 minutes in, you'd ask that question, Conor, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you have to go on for? Um, um, you should have started off with that question after the three quarters of an hour ago. It's in simple terms, I think. Um, we obviously have Joe's point. Of view, so, you know, we obviously need more attacking. You know, more, more attacking. What flair, coordination, understanding how the midfield and, and attack gels. That would be my my priority. To be honest with you, in the um, in in the six weeks that we're off working on that and and and, and using that to inform maybe what what limited choices we may have in the. The January transfer window. Don't know about you, but I could do with a six-week break off uh, pod- yeah. for podcasts. To be fair, there's only so many of these on the bounce you can do it the really before <laughs> before you start feeling a little bit ropey, you know. Yeah, getting the midfield in the tack to gel, I think, um, and looking at our options there, Connor would be my guess. Bees, same question to you. Are you on the same same sheet as Gav? Yeah, it's not a combination of what Joe and Gav have, have just said. I mean. Um... Neil Mopay just getting the best out of them because you know they've they've spent a, a pretty penny on him. It's undisclosed fee, but you know in the region of fifteen million pounds, I believe. Um, what's the point in doing that? Bringing him in if you're not going to play to his strengths. Um, he's sort of been, I wouldn't say hung out to dry, but uh, like, as, as Joe mentioned, set you know set to fail in the way the way that they're playing. But it's not just him; it's the, it's the players either side of him. We've, um, whether it's Damari Gray, Anthony Gordon, or Dwight McNeil, just not enough coming through. And obviously that depends in terms of crosses. Like we said, if it is Mopey, you don't need the crosses into the box. It needs to be a different sort of ball, but there's just no supply line coming from, from those wide areas either. So, yeah, they, they need to um, to, to um, sort of realise what um, they should be should be doing. And um, there's, just not, there's just not enough creativity or um, supply line, whether it's in terms of um, crosses or diagonal balls or whatever into the box it's just not coming so yeah um, maybe that front three um, just that's 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 the big thing just haven't scored enough goals have they 
Right, gents, we will leave things there because I think we have uh, chewed the fat enough. Just, uh, <laughs> just to interrupt, Connor, sorry. Um, probably worth telling listeners this. Some might roll their eyes, but um, obviously Everton are off to, off to Australia this week. Two friendlies in the Sydney Super Cup against Celtic and Western Sydney Wanderers. And, um, well, the echo will be there. So the echo no, will be there. That was in my ending. <laughs> I was going to come to that. But yeah. Joe has stole the thunder. Yeah. Can um, I just, yeah. just say, Joe, that I seen your photograph at the beach on, on Saturday on Twitter. I thought you were already there, to be honest with you. <laughs> know, from, from Boscombe Beach to Bondi Beach in a in, in a week, pretty much. But um, yeah, sorry, Connor, I wasn't sure if you're gonna get into it. So obviously the next Royal Blue will almost certainly involve me being there from Australia. And I kind of on the one hand I know that you almost everybody almost wants to hide under the covers from for the next six weeks, or focus on the World Cup or something else, anything but Everton after last week. But I suppose, given um, given the way that the last week or so has deteriorated, and you know, obviously how big and important a club and how much it means Everton means to so many people, that actually it's an opportunity to provide a little bit of scrutiny just in this kind of closed season, have a little look at behind the scenes because obviously Everton have got to get this next few weeks right. So. Yeah, hopefully I'll have some answers to how how they plan to do that whilst I'm over there because I suspect I'll be the only. I suspect the Echo will be the only British media outlet that's going out there to to report on this. So I'll do my best for everyone. Birdings include, include three o'clock in the morning podcast, Joe. While you're sitting, <laughs> well, it might be three o'clock in the morning. On Monday, yeah. you know, when we're freezing our de- to death off in the, in early December. Yeah, it might be might be three o'clock in the morning for me to to work for your time uh, schedule. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sounds right. But we will be back, of course, at the end of the week to look ahead to Everton's Sydney Cup campaign, and of course, maybe preview the World Cup, that big tournament that is set to kick off this Sunday. But for today, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.